Hey, it's your old pal Slim, and this is 70 Millimeter, finally a podcast about movies. Each week, I'm joined by famous artist Danny Haas. I blocked out my entire Saturday to watch The Irishman. And writer, poet, Protolexis. I didn't hear anything after No Cheese on a Quesadilla. As we discuss a recently watched movie. This episode, it's the American crime thriller, Good Time. Enjoy! I thought we were the only, you know, shop out there, but I found I found another movie podcast. Um, this is crazy. Get this. These guys, they're going through the Tom Cruise films from the start. Have you heard about this? Like from the beginning? Yeah, like from his very first movie. When did they start? <laughs> uh, I don't know, like a couple years ago. Oh, so they're um, caught up. No, no, they just did um, <laughs> Vanilla Sky. Wait, so yeah. they're putting out we're, like we're once here, every six months? We're, Some, yeah. we're hearing a bit right now. This is a bit. This is a pre-planned bit. This is another <laughs> podcast that I do with some dear friends of mine uh, from the paper. We branched off from the Paper Keg podcast, the comics and friendship, and we started doing our own Tom Cruise retrospective. And that's what Proto's uh, slyly referencing this other amazing podcast that I do, but continue, Proto. No, yeah, that's that's it. I just wanted to say it's great. Yeah, um, the hosts are great. They got a lot of great things to say. If you like Tom Cruise, I think you'll like it. So check it out. Thank you very much. I'm waiting for some kind of like sneak attack. I would after, never, uh, never. Okay, I don't. I, I will say, um, one of the hosts on that show, um, frequent voicemail lever, Dale underscore A. I do want to make a, just a brief announcement. We've actually made some changes behind the scenes. Um, Dale is actually our new show producer. So I just want to oh. give him some props. Look out. Show producer Dale. He's uh, officially on the payroll. So congratulations to Dale. Two episodes in, we had to fire the other guy. Congrats, <laughs> Dale. Never, never be afraid to make changes. Yeah. You know, midstream. I think that's a general patent quote. <laughs> Uh, this past week, you guys watched a lot of Oscar noms. You know, we did officially our Oscar episode last week. Huge response. We were really pleased with it, but you guys decided to watch like eight more Oscar nominated movies after we did that episode. Um, one of them has really lit a fire in our, Mm. you know, our private Slack with our group of friends. And it was because of one person saw Joker. And if I can just reiterate that Pro- it was Proto, yeah. our spiritual advisor and counselor. Mm-hmm. He, no one, if there's one person I can't predict how they'll react to a movie, it's it's Proto. And you gave it five stars. Explain yourself. Uh, close. That was close. I gave it four stars. I don't know why. Like, is it really that hard to predict? Like, what, do you think I was going to hate it? I don't know. It's hard to tell. It's just, I just can never, I can never, you know, you can get a vibe on some people. Like, I think so-and-so is really going to love this. Mm, yeah. But you you adored it. I did love it. You know, I, w- I went into it expecting to not like it. I was bracing myself for disappointment from everything that I heard. And even after I was done watching it, I thought, like, I, I couldn't have liked it as much as I did. Something's wrong. Did I miss something? <laughs> was I, like, not paying attention? 
Um, but uh-huh. I, I did love it. Uh, I, I thought it was great. The things that people have praised it for, uh, the cinematography, uh, you know, the shots by Todd Phillips and, uh, auteur. Yes. Auteur. And, uh, t- um, Joaquin Phoenix's performance was to me, I, I think it's the best performance of the year. Um, and wow. I, mm. I, I loved it. I thought it was very well crafted. I thought he was such a, a, uh, a layered character that had so much going on that was so compelling. Uh, and the, the, the way that Gotham was imagined um, here, I thought it was, it was great. I don't know. There was just so much about it that I loved. Like I found it so entertaining to the point where two days later I fired it up again mm, and started watching it, was, it. I was, I was, I don't use this word often, but I was gobsmacked. <laughs> yes. Just a reminder, we're going to get into good time from the Safties right around the corner. That's our main movie this week. Check the timestamp if you want to skip ahead to it. Danny, your thoughts on um, having a mainstream picture glorify a mentally ill man, lone wolf, murder someone on live television and start a movement. Uh, that scene is dark. And it really, I, I jumped back when I was watching it. I didn't, I, it really didn't sit well with me. Um, but uh, he deserved it. <laughs> Get the hell out of here. <laughs> no, I know. Uh, I, there, oh, I, there's just so much about the movie that is dark and really disturbing. Uh, but Proto mm. really nails exactly how I feel as well. Um, I've seen The King of Comedy from Scorsese and De Niro. And this movie is visually stunning, in my opinion. But it's just a, it's just like a blatant ripoff of Scorsese 70s, 80s movies in New York. Like, there's just no bones about it that he was going to make a movie that is almost identical, in my view, to King of Comedy. I mean, Robert De Niro plays a struggling comedian who is trying to get work and he's obviously got something wrong with him, mental illness. He kidnaps a late night TV show host, Jerry Lewis and tricks him like essentially blackmails him into getting on live television to do his set while Jerry Lewis is kidnapped. So then once the set is recorded, once it's aired, then they'll release Jerry Lewis, his accomplice. And it's just, it's just too identical for me. And it, the, that movie and You Were Never Really Here, also starring Joaquin, which I thought was just as good a performance in that movie, which actually I think probably you only gave three stars. Um, I thought that said a lot more about trauma and mental illness than the Joker could ever do, than Todd Phillips could ever do. Hmm. Just real quick, uh, we mentioned Letterboxd. It's our favorite social media site. Um, and... We actually ran a little mini contest last week. Uh, if you shared the show post, um, whether it be on Twitter or Instagram, it would you know give you a uh, potential to get a free year of Letterboxd Pro, which is uh, no third-party ads, and you get a ton of additional features on your Letterboxd account. You get a nice fancy badge that says your Letterboxd Pro. So we randomized the uh, people that shared it, and last week's winner was Catcher, um, who uh, left us in voicemail last week mm-hmm. about joker so catcher you have a year of letterbox pro um so congratulations thanks to letterbox um and i will say i think to make it a little bit easier like if you share the show period on twitter or instagram just tag our account so that we know you did it or just retweet um 
either or, it doesn't have to be both. Uh, so keep doing that. It really helps get the word out about the show. Um, what other what other Oscar noms did you guys watch this week? I feel like you guys watched a bunch. I uh, I blocked out my entire Saturday to watch The Irishman, <laughs> and uh, I ended up really loving this movie. Um, mm-hmm. Not to the point where I think it should win awards, but I was. Um, I don't know. There's something about it that really captivated me. I and I know we have the jokes about, you know, the young faces on old man body, and it's very there are <laughs> the scenery does kick the guy. It's it's bad. <laughs> it's 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 just bad. I don't even. They should have just had a body double or something for that scene. Yeah, but I really loved the story. Um, and man, I love Joe Pesci. I really I, I yeah. loved seeing him again. Uh, fashion icon in this movie. <laughs> every every look I wanted. Uh, there's a shot I think where they're watching. Um, I forget what they're watching on TV, and he's in this like mustard plaid suit, and I'm just like, ah, man, where'd you get that? <laughs> I need that in my life. Uh, so I, I I did. I gave this. I think I gave it four and a half stars, mm. uh, which is you know for me it's average. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only but, movie you've ever given less than four stars is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, I did love this movie. I loved, I loved how long it was. I was, I was, I was just in love with it. It was a great movie. Um, it's good, I, I, and then the praise it's getting is some good praise. I mean, it was fun. I, it was, it was exactly what I expected it to be—a long, mm-hmm. drawn-out Scorsese movie. So right. that's what it was. Yeah, in that sense, it, it was great. It did deliver, where it's it's what you expect from Scorsese. In the same way that when you see a Tarantino movie, you kind of expect a certain thing. So I wasn't disappointed in that regard. I thought the movie got better as it went along. Like I know some people were saying, yeah. like the final act, they didn't like that much. But I thought that was maybe my favorite part was the the last hour. Um, then how about that? You know what scene I loved is when uh, Pesci and De Niro put their hand. He put their hands up and they like looked at rings. Those gnarly oh. hands, dude. Oh, those, <laughs> those rings. Oh yeah, love that. I don't even remember that scene. Yeah, well, it was the it was the scene where he's getting the award and um, Pacino's character is giving it to him and he meets oh, him upstairs yeah. to give him the matching ring that only three people have. And oh, I love that scene too. <laughs> oh, so good. Pacino There's was just amazing some great shots. Oh, Pacino was, yeah, he was great. He was crazy. Loved I actually it. couldn't tell how actual, how actually old Joe Pesci looked. Like, if you would have told me that's the way he looked, <laughs> I would have just believed you. I had no idea. <laughs> uh, the one, yeah. the one thing that made me chuckle. I just thinking about uh, their scenes together now is when Pesci first meets De Niro. When De Niro's like driving that truck and his truck breaks down, and Pesci calls De Niro kid. <laughs> <laughs> i just like yeah. audibly cackled at that scene oh man yeah how about yeah. having no idea how old anyone is supposed to be in those scenes is he 45 tell. or supposed to be 25 i have no idea who was who, what actress played anna paquin played his daughter at various points i was like how old is she she looks the same yeah. age as his wife i couldn't yeah. i couldn't understand it yeah so i watched the irishman i watched uh marriage story last week uh jojo rabbit um, I got kind of caught up um, on movies I wanted to see before the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marriage, I gave three stars. Um, I didn't like the story at all. It, I don't know why. It just didn't sit well with me and not in a like good way. But the performances are absolutely amazing in that movie. 
Um, so I'm kind of glad I watched it. And I love Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit was a lot of fun. It was hilarious. Per, did you see uh, Marriage Story? Yeah, I did. I saw it. Uh, I think when it came out on Netflix, I gave it three stars. Um, yeah, I thought the performances were good, but I don't know. Like, it didn't do much else for me, that movie. It was just kind of there. A lot of internet buzz on that one. Yeah. A lot of slack buzz. Unneeded. Real quick, uh, before we get into good time, with, uh, Pattinson and friends, um, next episode is going to be Horse Girl on Netflix. I think by the time this show posts, it will have been released already. So you can just fire up Netflix and watch it. And then after that, for the first time, Danny will be watching Silence of the Lambs with Anthony Mm. Hopkins and Jodie Foster. I'm very excited about it. I'm excited to see the art for that one, to be honest. Yeah, you're right. I'm I'm excited to show you the good time art. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah, I haven't haven't seen it yet. I haven't even teased what's going it. on. Jeez, Louise. I just figured you hadn't even started on it yet. And you're going to work on it like tonight or something. I mean, it could be that too. <laughs> <laughs> the art's in my head. Uh, all right. Let's get into a uh, good time from the Safties. Yes. Proto, can you guide us through this film? Good time is the story of two brothers. In what seems to be a last-ditch effort to escape his circumstances, Connie, played by Robert Pattinson, hatches a plan to rob a bank and secure enough funds to leave his current life behind. Along for the ride is his younger brother, Nick, played by Ben Safdie. The bank is robbed, and all seems well for the brothers until one misstep leads to another. From here, we watch the brothers descend into an ever more fraught attempt to escape the trouble they have made for themselves. Connie hangs onto a thread of hope that he can dig himself out of the hole he has made as he races against time and luck. Good time. Man, I mean, the drag with your tongue on pouncing luck. (laughs) If we can bottle that. (laughs) <laughs> right in a spray bottle <laughs> uh, full disclosure Danny has no idea what we thought about this movie yeah. we didn't put our letterbox ratings in We just, I just put that I watched it I was an you, idiot you were sweating it, like the, the entire week so I'll go first then okay. since I have no idea what you guys thought of this movie uh, I'm at four and a half stars with this movie I absolutely oh loved it wow um, there was, there was uh, so many moments um, that I was just floored with. Um, I think Robert Pattinson <clears throat> was amazing. I think he was perfect for this film. I did read that it was written for him, which makes sense. Um, I, it this film, I feel like throughout it is trying to force you uh, to find the good in the Connie character when there's not any. He's just a piece of shit. <laughs> And so he is, in the beginning, it's like this um, Robin Hood, Rob from the Rich, kind of make a better life for him and his brother, Sitch. But then he gets like greedy and tries to get more money after the robbery was successful. And that's when it all goes bad. I mean, they put that thing in the bag and whatever. And, you know, his brother goes to jail and prison and it's... It's amazing performances by him and 
Benny. Yeah, I couldn't um, believe that Benny was the that played the younger brother, one of the directors. Yeah, mm. I had to I had to look it up because it was it, it was amazing. I mean, he does such a good job, and I had read that um, they had tried to actually cast um, someone who had a handicap, but the action scenes were a little would have been too much stress on them, and as fast mm. as they were filming, they wouldn't have been able to keep up, and so that's why Benny kind of did it. Interesting. Um, I think the cinematography in this movie is some of my favorite. I love uh, what Sean Price Williams did with color. I think there are so many scenes where, uh, especially when in the car or in the cab with uh, Jennifer Jason, is that her name? Mm-hmm. Jennifer Jason Jennifer Lee. Jason Lee. <clears throat> There's like that pink and blue color just splashed across Pattinson's face and watching him like figure out how to like take this next step uh, to get his brother out of jail, how to lie to her all the way to the like final act when it all hits the fan he's in the back of the police car and you see like the final scenes of Nick in therapy and the song with uh, Iggy Pop I've listened to it like four or five times since I've watched this movie because it's so good the pure always act from love Damned always act from love. And it literally says, like, the pure will act from love, the damned will act from love, and the truth is an act of love. And it's like, the pure is Nick, the damned is Connie. And, like, together, they both were trying to strive for the same thing, but both took complete separate paths in this movie. And I thought it was... um, I just love this movie. Mm. I can go on forever about it. But I'm, I'm super worried on what you guys are about to say. <laughs> Is Danny raising my stars right now with this uh, description? My word. There was, there was just some great mm. moments. And I mean, they even touch on stuff like, like this uh, systemic racism, like how Connie takes advantage of uh, black people in this movie mm. to a point where in the beginning, he literally does blackface to rob the bank with oh, him yeah. and... Nick, and then every person that he encounters, the teenage girl, he takes advantage of her, the security guard at the amusement park, like when he, when the cops come and they've switched places, they're not going to question why the white guy is saying the black man robbed him. But if it was switched, the cops would have stayed longer if Mm -hmm. it was a, a different scenario. Wow, yeah. So like there's so many moments... And so many like layers of, you know, you know, the stuff that they're talking about in this movie. And it's yeah. fascinating. And that is interesting yeah. because the one person that he can't use completely is Ray, the the one other white guy right. who kind of pushes back and is like, no, like, you know, I'm getting a fair shake out of this. Like, we're in this together. Yeah. This You're not ripping me off. You're not getting away with this. I'm going to rip you off. <laughs> That's a great yeah. point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, I think may, maybe my favorite scene of this movie is the opening scene of Nick mm. in therapy. Mm. Oh, my. When he's getting <laughs> asked these questions. Uh, so I was trying to figure out, like, you know, what what his deal is. And it seemed like maybe it's like he's at like a cognitive level of like a five year old. Maybe is that like that? That was kind of like the the read that I was getting on it. Like you know, in terms of development, he was still like a yeah, little maybe. kid. So he's like, he's like a five-year-old or, you know, a young kid in a 20 year old body. 
Um, and it seemed like, you know, as he's being asked these questions, he's been here before. And just like when the, you see the tears rolling down his face. Amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> because it's like, like you're just watching him and he's like answering it. and you think he's just like, well, he is like, he's bottling it up. You know, he's just like, kind of like, all right, here I am again. And he knows that he's not normal. There's something up with him, but it, it tears him up inside for someone to be, you know, shining a spotlight on it. And just that moment when you, when you know, you realize like, oh my God, he's crying, but he's, he's trying to hold it in. And how much more that means later on when you see him like freak out and he sounds like a little kid, you know, the fact in that moment that he was just like so broken. Also amazing that the very first scene of the movie is going to have that kind of emotional and acting prowess, like right off the bat. That's like the first scene of the whole movie and it pulls away from his face. Actually, that, that. The movie starts with that slow zoom out of his face, right? And then the movie ends yep. with the zoom in of um, yep. Connie. Oh, well, first, it, it actually does start with the zoom in towards the building, which I love that effect. They use that uh, a few different times, you know, from like far mm-hmm. away, and they just like slowly zoom in. So they zoom in on the building, and then it's like him in the office. The first um, major takeaway that I had while watching this movie was Robert Pattinson's dirty ass fingernails as he was trying to mm. fire up that elevator. My God, that just, <laughs> that's all you need to know about Set that character. Tone. That was the first thing. That was my first <laughs> note. I, I wrote down Robert's dirty fingernails. Um, this felt like a very dirty 1970s movie about New York City. Like mm. it reminded me a lot about Midnight Cowboy. Um, it reminded me a lot about like Dog Day Afternoon. Um, just almost like a movie about people that live in the city and the city around them impacting them. Um, it just felt like that. This was almost like their homage to that. Actually, maybe really want to go watch, rewatch Midnight Cowboy because I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, but this, it also, it absolutely felt like this led to uncut gems. Like we wouldn't have uncut gems without them going through this process. It made me like even appreciate uncut a whole lot more. Um, and I think I probably wish I would have seen this first. It probably would have made me appreciate, I think both in different ways than having them in seeing him in the reverse order. Um, this is just another anxiety train. And I I feel like, I hope that, I don't know if I like, if they're going to get like pigeonholed into being anxiety movie makers. Like, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. It's like good for me as the viewer. Like I'd love to see the next evolution of their film and make it even more like make me even more nervous in the movie theater but man when he breaks quote his brother out of the hospital and wheels him to this like just that whole scene where he gets him out of the hospital successfully and takes the bus and lies his way out of everything this guy could lie his way out of a paper bag it's unbelievable how yeah that's another i mean that's another person he took advantage of the bus driver another black guy um and he then takes advantage of the grandmother who he met on the bus to then trick her into allowing him to stay in her house um just it's just so stressful like those all those scenes are just so stressful and i I think the one thing that i want to compare i don't mean to compare it to uncut all the time but i loved uncut gems because i felt some sympathy and i felt empathy and sorrow for Howard Ratner. And I didn't feel that for Pattinson in this movie for Connie. Connie just felt like someone who was almost irredeemable. Um, 
that they've just always been this way or something happened to them when they were younger. And then, then this was just their path with uh, Ratner and the Sandman. You, f- you almost just understand that he's an addict and you can kind of see a little bit towards the end where he becomes aware that he's an addict. Um, and I think that's where the disconnect, not disconnect, but the differences in the two films for me. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I was rooting for, at least for Connie, was for him to somehow rescue Nick. So Nick, to me, is the victim in almost all of it, not not the people he's hurt along the way. But I mean, as a whole, I always felt like, man, I really hope this works this time, whatever situation he just got himself into, so that Nick can somehow not be in prison anymore. So I feel like that's, as a whole, what I was rooting for, for mm-hmm. Connie to get through all the F that he's done to somehow redeem Nick, who was who didn't even need to be robbing a bank anyway. So he was talked into all this to begin with. So I feel like that's, for me, what I was rooting for in this movie, for sure. I agree with you, Slim, uh, about like the character. That was my one of my main takeaways as well, that, um, yeah, comparing it to Uncut Gems, I feel like Ratner was a much more well-defined character and someone that you got to peer into like their life more and like what they were about and what made them tick. Uh, whereas this with Connie, it was very, I felt like it was just one dimensional uh, in a mm. sense, but yeah, his, his power of persuasion is great in this movie. I think that's one of the most compelling things about it. It's like he read um, uh, how to win friends and influence people and Machiavelli <laughs> at the same time. Like, how can I turn everyone into like my tool? And I think that's really yeah. kind of what this is. The movie, that was my main takeaway from the movie was like, this is about two brothers who are disabled in different ways. Like the one brother mm-hmm. is, he has a, a mental handicapped where Connie does as well, but it's the fact that he doesn't have any empathy for anyone around him. And he's like driven by a single goal. Um, to like do exactly what he needs in this moment. And he's going to scorch earth, everything behind him to make it happen. Um, like just the fact that he had no remorse for like anything that he did, especially with, uh, I think the one that sealed the deal is that at the amusement park where he just like lets the girl go. Like he could have, yeah. could he have not come up with some other kind of case you know, be like, oh, you know, that wasn't her. I saw the two that ran in. She wasn't one of them. You know, let her go. He could have talked his way out of her going away with them, but he chose not to because he just didn't even care. I, th- I feel yeah. like it was sealed even before that because when, remember, they're, he's hanging out with Crystal, this 16-year-old girl at this house, and they're watching TV, and then his news story comes up. <laughs> and he's on TV. And he starts making out with her. <laughs> She's <Yeah>. 16. <laughs> so and then he, like, te- he picks her up and takes her to the bedroom. Uh, yeah. I was like, what yeah. the uh, F is going on here? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the worst part is before this movie, I shared with you that I looked up like the parents rating website. <laughs> I was like, can I watch this with my son? So it said like shows graphic sex with so-and-so. <laughs> and then I'm thinking of that in the back of my head while that scene was happening. I was like, oh my God, is she? Is he going to have sex with her? <laughs> and thankfully it didn't happen. Um, but yeah, that scene, th- the... That scene was pretty shocking. I probably should have been more shocked by it. I feel like um, after I watched the movie and I looked up to see what other people were talking about, not a lot of people mentioned that scene. Um, 
The other thing that I want to point out where he just like beats up the security guard and then drugs him with the with like the super LSD. Oh my god. Oh my god, yeah. man. That is some messed up stuff. I I will say that the violence in this movie is very opposite of the Joker violence. The Joker violence felt very real and unsettling. The violence in this movie felt fake and cinema and like, you know, uh almost low budget. Maybe on purpose because they didn't want to make it kind of overshadow the overall story. Like when he was beating up the security guard, I was like, this probably could have been made to be more violent and realistic, but they didn't. Maybe on purpose. Yeah, it felt really grounded. And you brought it up in the beginning saying this feels like an old 70s New York. And I definitely, yeah. I think that may have been a part of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee as his quote, I guess, girlfriend, Corey. Yeah. My God. Yeah. Was she nominated for a Best Supporting Actress just in her two minutes this movie? Cripes. Uh, when she's yelling at yeah. her mom on the phone. It's so good. Oh my gosh. That whole scene. That Oh man, the anxiety I felt in that scene where they're at the bail bonds. Oh man. That, and that's the thing. Like this movie, it's like, it, like each scenario, it gets worse and worse and the stakes get higher and higher. And you're like, yeah. you're just waiting for him to have like one small victory. You know, like, all right, like get back mm-hmm. on track. But he never does. It just gets worse and worse as it goes along. Yeah. Get back on track. Breaking your brother out of Rikers because you <laughs> robbed a bank. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so wild how you watch this movie and how you how it makes you feel for sure. How about the bail bondsman? So he gets, what, $10,000 uh, from the bank, but it's all essentially ruined because it's painted with that, like, you know, security mechanism. And... He asks for the money back from the bail bondsman. The bail bondsman doesn't give it to him. He's like, no, that's no. my money now. You get me yeah. eight grand or whatever, and then we'll talk about getting your brother out. And I was thinking to myself, like, man, well, what a, why is he keeping it? Why doesn't he just say, like, uh, that's stolen. That's obviously stolen money. Why don't I just call the cops on you? But he doesn't. He's just like, that's my money now. I just thought that was a very interesting conversation between that bail bondsman. Like, he wasn't giving it back. Yeah. Right. And then we see her use the money too at the uh, convenience store. And I thought she was going to get busted because you see him hand her that 20 to get whatever. And it's got the little bit of pink on it. I'm like, oh no, she's going to get busted. So I feel like he keeps it because he can still use it, but he makes Connie think that he can't use it at all. I thought for sure that there was going to be no money in that bag. When the bank teller (laughs) hands him or she like shows him a stack and there's like, I guess a 20 on one side. I thought maybe they just had like a, a, you know, a backup plan. If anyone ever robs us, take the fake stack with the twenties on either end and then show them that and then throw in the bag. And then like, they would just get nothing. Like I felt like that was going to be the big reveal that they had no money. Yeah. When that pink explosion goes off, when first it's like that high pitched noise, I thought it was his hearing aids or something messing up. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, not Benny, um, next character mm-hmm. man that's that's such an intense scene yeah and that's the, a great sense of color too like where they're just like because oh. i remember seeing i think i watched a trailer and you see them like red like that and you're like what wh- like what's going on here but they <laughs> actually are turned red from the dye it's great yeah what probably my favorite scene out of the movie i think was when they're in the car ray who he thought was his brother that he kidnapped out of the hospital who's all effed up and uh connie are in the car while crystal's at the white castle i guess getting them burgers and he tells the story about how he got into oh the hospital God, it's like yeah. this like segue story about how effed up this guy is and then it's it felt like such a long scene but it was so good and like the last line i wrote look down at the pavement and just jump 
And now look at my fucking face. And now look at my fucking face. <laughs> and Connie's like not even paying attention. He's already scheming on how to get yeah. the money that this guy mentioned in his story. Yeah. That story, like that experience of like what he describes going through, I just can't even imagine the idea also of being like, um, you know, high on LSD and you're like, you're looking at out on a road, you're going like 45 miles an hour and you're like, I got to jump out of this car. And the fact that he just like goes face first right into the the pavement. Oh my God. That, yeah, that, that is a crazy <laughs> sequence. Uh, but it was great just the like getting that like little look into what kind of guy this is. I kind of took it mm-hmm. too as like when they had that conversation and Connie says like, I'm nothing like you, like I'm better than you. I kind of saw that as, um, you know, Connie, to me, it seemed clear that Connie would never been to jail. So like mm. he's kind of like, this is actually his, I took it as this is his first, uh, you know, crime that he's committed. And, uh, you know, the other guy, Ray is saying, you think you're better than me, but you're not. And Connie still thinks he does. He still thinks he is, but I feel like the like it's kind of giving this picture that, you know, Connie's going to go to jail and his life is going to spiral even further where he is actually going to turn into Ray. Like he's going to get out. Mm. Something bad's going to happen to him. He's going to go back in jail and he's going to be caught in this vicious cycle in the same way that Ray was. And Ray was actually telling him, like, you're not better than me. You're going to you were just like me. You're just at the beginning. I'm all I'm at the end. So it's almost mm. like, you know, he's mm. he's seeing like, you know, what he's going to become um, later on. Yeah. Yeah. He ends that conversation like this smug, arrogant, like, you don't know what I'm talking about at all. <laughs> and it's like, Connie is like, he has no idea. Connie literally has no idea what he's talking about. And he says <laughs> to Ray, you don't know what I'm talking about. Like, it's it's exactly what you're saying. The other scene right after that is when he still kind of takes advantage of... um crystal he's like talking where he makes he schemes to go to Adventureland, and then but tells her that's ray's house he's like <laughs> talking to her in a car and i'll, I'll add it in <laughs> here so but ridiculous. it was the craziest <laughs> line where he's telling her he's like yeah i'll be right back he's like you know what tonight it's fucked up as it is i just think i think something very important is happening and it's deeply connected to my purpose and i think that you are somehow connected to it as well I mean, do you feel me at all? Do I just sound like a total faggot? No, I feel you. I understand. <sighs> okay, I'm gonna go and take a shit in that guy's house. And we'll try the hospital again in a minute. Just wait here for me, okay? I'm gonna go take a shit in this guy's <laughs> house. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> and the 16-year-old girl is almost like still has those like, you know, love eyes. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, my God, what a eyes. line. Uh, do want to add in a quote from dear friend of the show Chuck um, and I quote good time is better than uncut gems don't at me and that's uh, (laughs) Chuck Forsman on Letterboxd I I do agree with them but I do feel like they're kind of different movies but somehow they feel like there's like in the same universe like I feel like we could have seen Connie run past Howard's (laughs) gem store on New York somehow like it's like this weird safety universe that they're building especially with both both film scores are by the same person as well. Love the film score this. Yeah. And one thing I realized coming out of Good Time is now that I've seen so many Robert Pattinson movies, I feel like if 
you don't start taking Robert Pattinson serious as an actor, we're going to like miss one of the best actors in our generation for sure. Hmm. Is he the next Joaquin Phoenix? Is that what you're saying right now? Oh, he's going to be Batman, so. It's true. Mm. Filming right meow. <laughs> um, I, I, I think I, I've covered all of my notes. So I will say that um, I gave it, I'm probably going to give it three stars. Mm. Uncut Gems was almost like a religious experience when I saw that movie. Like it just hit, it was, this movie led to them being able to do Uncut Gems. You know, it felt yeah. like this was them on their evolutionary state and uncut. I just felt like I was witnessing something, even something that I've never felt before in cinema. Um, so it makes me appreciate good time. I enjoyed good time a lot. Really liked it. Pattinson's amazing. Jennifer Jason Lee should have been nominated for something in this movie. Um, <laughs> so that's where I'm at for good time. After a lot of consideration, I'm giving this three stars as well. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, that's a good point. There's Uncut Gems was my first experience in the Safdie universe, the way they make a movie. So maybe it's the fact that I experienced that one before Good Time that in some way uh Good Time lost just that impact of how they make a movie. Mm-hmm. Um but like I said before, I felt that um I felt it was like the story was better thought out in terms of like character when it came to uncut gems versus this, like this, this is exciting. It's, um, just the action, the, 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 the plot points of, you know, going from one scene to the next and things like going crazy and out of control. Like that's really compelling. But other than that there, I just didn't feel like there was much there in terms of like the people kind of felt like you were like on a runaway train and then it just like kind of, goes off the track and the movie's over. So uh, it's like, it's a fun experience, but in terms of like the story that it tells, I guess I just wasn't as compelled by it. So like to me, I would say, I feel like I would recommend Uncut Gems to people. Whereas I feel like Good Time, it's it's like a, it's a movie for like, um, mm, I don't know, like it, it, I'd have to like know the person. I wouldn't recommend this movie to anybody. I'm sorry. Not I wouldn't. Not that I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. It'd be a certain person that I have to recommend it to. Danny was about to shit his pants <laughs> after that comment. <laughs> I was taking, <laughs> turning off the God. mic. Saw him bend over in front of that computer <laughs> and on drop trowel. I'll read some of the popular letterbox reviews. Um, Something comes from Katie. Imagine your worst panic attack times it by one hundred. Peter Labuza says, this movie is what happens when we observe the trash we avert our eyes to, what we're taught to ignore and really look at what's inside. Um, and David Ehrlich, uh, I think echoes Danny's comments, feels like I've said this before, but now it's really time to recognize him as one of the best actors of his generation. Oh, thank you. Yeah, there's going to be a big spotlight on him as soon as that movie comes out, that Batman movie, for sure. Recent review from Maggie Lav 1, Connie and Ray go to White Castle. um catcher was a big proponent i know that um of this movie i really loved every aspect of this movie it's made with a ton of confidence i think he has a letter in this week actually so i won't read too much more of his comments good time safties should we get into the voicemails we got a lot to get to a lot of voicemails a lot of emails to get to before we wrap up get ready to watch her i can't even say horse (laughs) 
<laughs> Hearse Girl. <laughs> Next movie, Horse Girl on Netflix. So our voicemail number, 267-409-6983. Or you can shoot us an email with an audio file, if that's your preference, to 70millimeterpod at gmail.com. Let's get into it. What's up, 70 millimeter? What up, Slim? What up, Proto? Danny. Executive <laughs> producer Caleb calling in. You know what people ask me? They ask me, when is 70 millimeter going to do a Tom Cruise movie? Oh, God. Maybe The Last Samurai or Collateral? Question mark? <laughs> Anyways, I want to keep this short, so I'll just say I love the podcast, and I love you guys. Talk to you soon. And that comes from Caleb. Caleb trying to start something here. Yeah. Podcast we'll have to works. check with our producer if we could do a Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> producer Dale about to hand in his resignation after one episode on the job. <laughs> uh, check out Interview with a Vampire, Interview with the Podcast Vampire on the Apple Podcasts. All right, next voicemail coming in hot. Hey, guys. This is Ghost Hunter Dave here. Uh, just calling in to show my appreciation for this wonderful new podcast. Um, hopefully you can pick this up. I'm in the car and I'm on a new phone and it doesn't, uh, the audio is real, real touchy. So I'm not sure what I should be speaking into. It's really touch and go. And I'm also juggling a, uh, a quesadilla that I just got, uh, from a Taco Bell. I'm on the road and it, it also, I told them to hold the jalapeno and no cheese. So it's just the tortilla and chicken. There's no glue to really hold it together. So the chicken is constantly on the verge of spilling out into my lap. I hear you're reviewing Good Time, starring um, uh, Robert Pattinson, which uh, is a, he's an actor that I initially wasn't wasn't keen on. You know, me and a lot of other people. But he's really won me over. Uh, his performance in Lighthouse just top tier. And he picked some interesting projects, and this looks like one of them. So I haven't seen this movie. Um, <laughs> holy shit, this guy almost cut me off. Um, no chicken drop, though, so we're okay. Um, but, you know, guys, I, I just want to reiterate, great, great podcast. Looking forward to more. And uh, thanks for letting me really get a lot of this off my chest. Take it easy. Did he say? Turn this off now. Did <laughs> Dave, please? Did he say no cheese? You know, on a quesadilla. <laughs> I didn't hear anything after no cheese on a quesadilla. Uh, Ghost Hunter Dave. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Next voicemail. Hey, Ghost Hunter Dave again. Just wanted to call, uh, follow up, let you know that I made it home safe. Okay, <laughs> off the road, everything's good. Uh, no worries. And I also wanted to make sure um, I asked you, uh, did you watch Blade today? Oh, God. Ghost Hunter Dave is on one right now. Yeah. I don't know what he's on. He's on it. Uh, next voicemail. Hello, everyone on 70MM Podcast. It's me, Dirk. Dirk Feelgood. Calling from a Brexit imploded Great Britain. I've got to say, finally... Someone releases a movie podcast. I, I'm very much an early adopter of movies and have been watching them for around about six or seven months. I've seen them all. How to Train the Dragon, Hotel Transylvania 1, Hotel Transylvania 2, Hotel Transylvania 3, all the Hotel Transylvanias, Frozen and Frozen 2, of which I have seen twice. So I can't wait for that episode. 
but 70mm <laughs> podcast has been pushing me out of my comfort zone. And so I watched Good Times. Um, and I think it was when our main hero, Roberto Patisonian, was busting his unconscious brother out of the hospital with severe facial injuries that I realised this film was not for me. <laughs> where are you going to go? Where are you taking that unconscious brother? The police know where you live. He had no plan and he had no brotherly love. That's my impression. And I think the whole film, no matter how wonderful it may have seemed to some, I was switched off by a lack of redeeming features in any of the characters. And it got me thinking, just like Catcher's question last week, is there anything perhaps that switches you guys off from the film? I need someone to root for. If there's no one in there that's likeable, I'm done. I'm out. And I wondered, is there anything like that for you guys? So thanks for the great podcast. Uh, this phone call's probably cost me a very large mm-hmm. sum of money, so I hope it was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dirk. Dirk Thank Feelgood, you, Dirk. former uh, professional wrestler, retired. Does that turn you guys off when there's a lead with no redeeming qualities? The thing that turns me off, let's see. Um, I, I guess I get turned off when there's, uh, I think there's like a, a relationship between someone who's telling a story and their viewer. And if you enter into like, if a, if a, if a storyteller kind of creates like, um, a, a sense of what's going to come next, what's going to come next, or um, you know, some kind of rule that they have seemed to have made in the movie or in the book, but then they break that rule later. I don't like that. That's kind of I know that's like very vague, but there, it, but it could be it could be many things. You know what what that makes, but I feel like there's there's some kind of relationship that exists between a storyteller and the one who's who's hearing the story. That if you if you kind of like break that contract, break the rules that the storyteller themselves has made later on, I kind of don't like that. Hmm. Hmm. What about you, Slim? Mm, I mean, have you guys seen the Joker? Oh, Lord. No. No, thank you. We got some more voicemails to get to here. Hey, I'm Rob Pattinson, and I want to say thank you. 70 millimeter pod. Your support. Enjoy the final song. Good time. (laughs) What in the world was that? That sounded like Robert Pattinson calling in. (laughs) Hey, boys, this is Sam. Uh, Love the show. Um, love the 1917 talk last week. Uh, what you feel as you guys said, definitely felt too. That was a great movie. But I was thinking if this was possible. So the scenario came up in my head. Do you think that they would have, spoilers for the end of 1917, do you think that they would have gotten to the end if both Blake and Schofield were alive? If they would have made it the entire run all the way to the camp? And if they didn't, at what part of the movie do you think they do not survive. Love to hear your answer and love to hear what you guys think about it. Love the show. Catch boys later. First time, long time from fam. I don't think they both make it. I don't think that's, I think it's a one man job at the end. And I think where it would happen would definitely be in the city at the end. I don't think they cross the river together. Yeah, that was my thought as well. Probably would have um, screwed up and offered mercy to that German soldier. 
um, <laughs> inside the city, you know? German soldier. German. No other adjective <laughs> I would have used for that character. They're definitely not alive either. No, they're no longer alive. Uh, final voicemail. Thanks for the call, fam. Hey, guys. This is Art. Uh, wanted to call in and uh, add my voice to the chorus of accolades that I know are pouring in from around the globe uh, regarding the successful launch of the 70 millimeter podcast. Congratulations. The show's great. Uh, that last episode for 1917, uh, when Proto was channeling the combined ghosts of Roger Ebert and Maya Angelou for that <laughs> chiasmus analysis. Wow. Uh, that was the stamp of legitimacy to really uh, wow. put this project on the map. Uh, yeah. Slim, back in the first episode, uh, teaching kids about video store late fees. Uh, when we got our first neighborhood video store back in the early 80s, uh, word quickly spread through seventh grade that you know a certain clerk would let little sickos like me and my friends rent <laughs> R-rated movies. Uh, you know, we couldn't wait to get our disgusting little mitts on Kentucky Fried Movie or, uh, Fast Times. Uh, me, I was desperate to see, uh, David Cronenberg's scanners, mm. uh, because I wanted to see that dude's head explode. So I rented it. I hid the video cassette in my bedroom closet afterwards to return the next day. Um, you know, a month later, here comes mom with a late fee bill uh, the size of a car payment. Uh, lost my movie renting privileges. Mom raised hell with the store owner. And for all of us, you know, seventh graders, that brief R-rated movie loophole uh, shut down forever. So uh, never told my buddies it was me that had cost us everything. So it uh, feels good to get this off my chest. Uh, the show is friggin' amazing. You're all doing an incredible job. The sky's the limit for 70 millimeter. And I just can't wait to hear more. Love you guys. Wow. Bye. Wow. 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 Yeah. Did I, do you guys remember your first rated R movie? No. No way. Oh. Nope. I remember the first one that I got snuck into. My buddy's mom bought our tickets and snuck us in to see Scream. Oh. That was the first in-theater rated R movie for me, I think. I don't remember what I thought about Scream. I remember, I think I remember going to see movies like Event Horizon in theaters mm. around that era. I don't remember if that was rated R. I don't think it was. But that movie was scary to me. Very scary. I remember being on the Wildwood Boardwalk and my friend convincing me to see Charlie's Angels. <laughs> and the whole time I was sweating it, worried that like, oh my God, if my parents find out I saw this movie. Of course, it's like super tame. <laughs> that movie was rated G, yeah. if I recall. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last letter before we wrap up. I should have read this earlier during our Joker segment, uh, but that's on me. Um, this comes from Catcher. First things first, I don't want to push the narrative that Joker existing is unsafe. It's a movie and any hypothetical harm that could be committed using its inspiration is not its fault or the director's fault. Though I do wish the director had considered the kind of message this film ultimately embraces. Moving forward, I have to side with Slim on disliking this movie. It's an, that's a real line of letter. I didn't add that. Um, for me, it has to do with a few things that are intertwined. The director is more obsessed with visual flair than narrative. And in forgetting the importance of the film's themes, he breaks the film. Todd Phillips is constantly 
talking in interviews about the look, the visuals, and the inspirations of late 70s filmmaking. Congrats to your creative department. It crafted some truly impressive moments of visual storytelling. It is the highlight of this film. But then all the great storytelling gets thrown out the window in order to be edgy, provocative. For me, the film breaks in its final moments. It takes its protagonist. This is probably some spoilers here, Matt H.H. Uh, the character who embodies the film's themes and turns him into its antagonist. The themes of the film, from my perspective, are about how society has failed to look out for its citizens, especially its most vulnerable, that it doesn't care about them, that we don't protect each other, and it's the way of thinking can have a truly problematic effect on society as a whole. Arthur's life is a testament to what can happen in a world like that. By turning him into the antagonist, he ends the film not just embracing the opposite view that the film has been presenting, but Arthur is ultimately successful in achieving his goals by embracing the opposite point of view. It would be like Ethan Hawke taking the money at the end of Training Day and continuing to work with Denzel mm-hmm. and his crew. Spoilers. Training Day spoilers. <laughs> it would totally fail the whole premise that the film is trying to express this is what joker does and it's something todd phillips has expressed explicitly in interviews he wanted to have this shake-up he thinks it's what makes the film interesting i argue it makes a poopy movie love y'all catcher thank you catcher i thought that maybe i would have while i was watching it i was like i might think this if i watch this at a different time i might think this is really corny and like doesn't work for whatever reason it worked for me i could see myself watching this movie in five years and being like this is way over the top like the the dramatic aspect of it doesn't work with like the the clown bit about it um so uh i could see that catcher i'd have to ask you so if you don't like how it ends how would you end a movie about a villain like what is supposed to happen in this story? He's not a hero. Like he's not going to go on this show, do his bit. And then like somebody else come out of the crowd with a gun and try to shoot Murray Franklin. And then he shoots him and saves the day. Like he's a villain. Like this is his origin story. He's supposed to show that society fails in the same way that even if Ethan Hawke did take the money, that would probably be more realistic that uh, like uh, the one good cop, who's new joins all the dirty cops that would be a more realistic story yeah i guess i don't want to speak for catch but maybe they have um a good guy in the movie i mean who was the good guy like they, that's the problem in this kind of a movie that's about a villain without someone like trying to chase him there wasn't really a character there was the cops but like you know you weren't like rooting for them really you didn't have like a non Batman Batman character to kind of like try to prevent it from happening or catching him at the last minute. Yeah, well, and then putting him in Arkham. Yeah, I guess. The, yeah, I don't agree that there has to be a a good guy to it. Mm-hmm. If like there was never, we were never presented with a good guy. We were never given like a detective in Gotham. You know, who's oh well, I mean, there were the detectives, but they weren't good guys. Like everyone in They're Gotham is is corrupt. So maybe Denzel should have been the cop. Denzel, the same character he played in Training Day. Wow. And this is what turned him. He takes the he takes the money with Joker and that's what turns him into the copy was in training day. Are you saying Denzel would play the same character in another movie? Wow, 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 <laughs> wow, 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 wow. This this is a too hot of a take at this stage of the episode to just whip out. I thought I thought Danny he'd be a actually man on fe- fire in Gotham. <laughs> Safe space. I actually thought Danny fell asleep earlier. He's been working at Epcot so many hours this week. <laughs> I thought he was passed out ten minutes ago. I don't know. 
<laughs> I'm just letting Proto speak. Great show. Another win. Another one in the wind column. If I can be frank with you, right now, we have a new producer on the books, Dale. Sounds great, Dale. We thank yeah. We thank Ian for his service for the past two episodes. He did amazing, but you know he's moving on. We wish him the best of luck. Next week, Horse Girl. Mm. Coming in hot. Watch it along with us on Netflix. Alison Brie. Ever heard of her? Hmm. Community. I've never watched Community. Never watched it. I hate you, both of you. We know. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Seventy Millimeter is produced by Dale underscore A and sponsored by Half Double Design. Original artwork provided by Danny Haas. Spiritual guidance provided by Protolexis. This episode was mixed and edited by myself, Slim. Special thanks to the good people at Letterboxd for a chance to win a pro Letterbox account. Share the new episode post every Monday on Twitter or Instagram. Connect with us on social media under at 70 millimeter pod and follow along using the links in our show notes. Goodbye.